This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to episode two of Woodman Corner, the West Bromwich Albion podcast brought to you by Albion fans at the Birmingham Mail. Uh, my name's Graham Brown, usually I'm joined by uh, Joe Chapman, but unfortunately, despite being a man in his early 20s, he's hurt his back. Um, but fear not, there's no shortage of uh, expert views and West Bromwich Albion fans, not least the man sat next to me here now, Steve Freeth, who's a betting guru from Bet365. Um, we're going to talk to Steve. Um, asking the same questions we ask everyone who comes on. Every week we're going to get um, fans and players and staff and we're going to talk to them every time about their favourite stories about West Bromwich Albion. So we'll get onto that in a bit with Steve. But this week we, we are um, taking a bit of a veer away. It's hard to ignore the fact at the moment that Tony Pulis is under a lot of pressure at West Bromwich Albion. So today's podcast is going to take a dispassionate view as to whether Tony Pulis is the right man for West Bromwich Albion right now. It's been a good ride recently. I think we've all got a lot to thank Tony Pulis for, but it's hard to ignore that there's a tremendous amount of pressure on the manager that's currently emanating from social media. So we're going to look at this in three ways. I'm going to have a chat with Steve here at the moment, in a moment um, about um, the, what the odds say, how it's changed. Um, he's very uh, close to the statistics around football and the Albion in particular as a fan. So we'll talk about that. He also knows Tony Pulis a bit. Um, I've talked to Martin Lawrence, who's one of the principal uh, data analysts um, looking into football in the country to have a statistical look at how Albion have been performing. And finally, we will talk to Martin Spinks, who's perhaps the journalist that's worked most closely with Tony Pulis across his career as a Stoke City reporter at the Sentinel, and he'll give his view um, about Pulis. But we'll start now with uh, Steve Freeth. Tell us your favourite story about West Bromwich Albion. Well, I've got a few, but I don't want to. I don't want to bore you too much. I, I was uh, what first game was uh, late seventies, seventy nine Albion nil, Derby nil. So you could only ever only ever get better. Stormer. Yes, Stormer. But uh, I, in my teens, I did have a, an obsession, uh, um, you know, with the Albion, and um, well, I still have now, but uh, but to a lesser extent, but. Autographs, writing to players, was a was a massive part of mine, and uh, I've got uh, still have many many um, many autographs, signed photos particularly. But when Don Goodman signed, I remember writing to him and having a bit of uh, contact with him, and he was absolutely fantastic. Um, we used to we used to exchange birthday cards and, and Christmas cards, which is <laughs> sounds a bit corny now, but it was uh, it, particularly at the time was was uh, was absolutely unbelievable. Such a a Goodman fan uh, like myself. And um, we actually had a 24-hour sponsored hockey event at our school, so I ended up just writing to, to Don just on the chance of him trying to come over, not expecting any 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 reply at all. But I have to remember this is the days before internet or anything like that, the late 80s, wasn't a great deal, um, anything like that. But I remember the phone ringing one, one afternoon and my mum saying, uh, Steve, it's, it's Don Goodman on the phone for you, and kind of going, yeah, okay, like that. And... Lo and behold, it was it was done, and uh, he, he wanted to come to the school and uh, open the event, which he did, and uh, had a few photos in. It was absolutely, you know, great, and it was, it was such a for a, a massive Albion fan, 
like I was back then for, for him, your hero, to actually come to your school and, and, and open an event was like that. And I'll be, um, be ever grateful for him. I have seen him since on quite a number of, uh, a number of times. And I did see him last year at Royal Ascot. And he'd, uh, I think he'd had a glass of champagne or two, but he certainly, he, he did, he, he certainly remembered it and, uh, and enjoyed uh, taking the Mickey at me a little bit for, uh, for writing to him as a, as a kid. But he's, uh, he's a great bloke, Don, and I've even forgiven him, uh, Dingle Don, for, uh, for joining Wolves. I'm, uh, I'm glad you took him to task for that issue. <laughs> his, uh, his career veered off him, as far as I'm concerned, after the, uh, after the late 80s. Um, you've obviously seen a fair bit of Albin. What are the memories that, uh, that last with you? Yeah, well, Bristol Rovers away was, uh, was a bad one. Of course, um, you know, being really, I actually went there in a toga. I remember my uh, my mate driving down in his brand marina. You know, that's you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, travelling in style in a toga in a brand marina. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than and that. And then driving back in it. And then, yeah, then driving back. It was a horrendous day. Of course, it was uh, it, it was it was a pretty sad, and it was a bad time at the club. And I've only ever those days you think about it. Used to save up. Used to have a couple of paper rounds. Used to do two every day, and used to save up your money just to just to watch Albion. Had a season ticket. 86, 87 was the first time I had one, and the the away games that you used to go, you used to, you used to travel on on the, the Hawthorne away travel service hats, as it was known as. Or if you wanted to travel in style, you'd you'd pay the extra pound and go with uh, Dave Mammoth Holloway, Hollow, uh, Mammoth Tours, as it was known then. Um, you know, playing a five for, for for Plymouth away and stuff like that. But I do remember Bradford a bit later on, of course, where uh, Eagle Ballas's penalty, and I, I'll have to admit that I was living in London. And then I left early. I, le- I left. With <laughs> if ever a, there was a game, I left. I left with a couple of minutes. I'm not, I I've never told anyone this before. I've left. I left a couple of minutes early, and um, there was a bit of a roar as I went past the um, the Bradford end, and um, I ended up running to the concourse and watching it on a on a TV monitor. I was actually at the game. Missed m- missed one of the <laughs> one of the greatest events ever of. Uh, of West Bromwich Elvin history, and I'm a, I'm a li- I was a little bit annoyed with myself um, about that, but you know you, you just you, you just carry on with these things. The um yeah I I, I must seg- segue onto you onto your kids' names. You have four children. Go and share us the story. Yeah, four four children. Um, the eldest one, I I, I didn't try to get an Albion n- name in there. Um, the the second one, um, her name is Willow Biamba, which is um, WBA. Of course, um, so I managed to get that in. Then Mrs. Give it the okay. The third one, we um, managed to get the Hawthorne in there, and uh, and the last and the last one we had ten months ago. He's his middle name's Brom, so we managed to get <laughs> managed to get Brom in there. And I, 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 I'll have to admit this as well. Obviously, working for the Coates family, that um, Willow WBA is going to be mascot actually for the Stoke West Brom game on the twenty third. But she's going to be mascot for Stoke. No, <laughs> no, I don't know how that's going to go down. I, I'm I'm okay with it, but uh, yeah, um, I might get a little bit of stick for admitting that uh, that Willow's going to be um, a mascot uh, for Stoke City against I, West Brom. I think on behalf of Albion fans, I think we're we're glad that you're getting the WBA reference higher yes. up in the program. That's uh, that's to your credit. <laughs> um, well, that's uh, that's uh, that Stoke link probably uh, probably segues us next to the to the next thing. So, like I said, what, what I want to do today is take a bit of a dispassionate look about the issue of Tony Pulis. We uh, we put. A, um, a poll on our Twitter account uh, at Woodman Podcast this week. Uh, 267 people took part. So we asked people what, whether or not what, what they want to happen with Tony Pulis. Um, this is not scientific research, I'm sure West Bromwich Albion would like us to say. Uh, 66% said he should go now. 15% said give him till Christmas. 9% said till the end of the season. And just 10%, one in 10 people, said he should stay. Now, like I say, 
Albion fans are are, are are struggling with the with the football they're seeing now. They're not seeing a great quality of football, and and, and the results are starting to drive. But I think what's important is to take a more kind of dispassionate look at this. And and you you're you're a man that's kind of um yeah. that that uh, that kind of sees the numbers. Um, so I mean, so, so starting with the sack race, I guess. Um, where is he now? How have the odds changed? Yeah, I mean, at the start of the season, it was always going to be a a big price just because you know you be signing contract uh, extensions and. And people were thinking, well, you know, he's not going to be going anywhere anytime soon, really. But of course, that's all changed with the, you know, with the recent form that they that they've had. And it, it is it is a little bit worrying where Tony is currently second favourite behind Silver, of course, because Silver's been been linked with the um, the Everton job yeah. currently, hasn't he as well? So he is he is second favourite. I think there was a time, even before the Huddersfield game, where. I think, as the, the local journalist, I'm sure you will know, Graham, and the local, and the Albion fans as well, knew that this this could be a pivotal game for Tony. Mm-hmm. And um, the odds of, of, of Savin Bilic, of course, has gone since. So that's why th- th- there wasn't such a massive change in the market. Um, but us as fans and, and and say you as journalists knew that it was going to be such a huge game, and um, it proved to be, a, let's be honest, a really poor performance. Yeah. The fact that they were down for ten men for for over half an hour the fact that I don't think we you know we troubled the goalkeeper really till late on so I think it was McLean and Phillips who had some chances um, in injury time and it was such such a poor performance um, but as we've talked about who else is there out there that, that, that can really I mean I, I've you know working with working at, at in, in, in Stoke you know seeing watching Tony what Tony did at, at, at Stoke City the fact that he's you know he, 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 he Made them into a, a tough championship side, got promoted, took them to an FA Cup final, took them into the Europa League. I, I went to, I'll admit, I went to Valencia away, you know, with Stoke, and it mm-hmm. was a, it was a great experience to go out there and watch them in the Europa League. I'm sure as an Albion, well, definitely me as an Albion fan, would love to have them. Gotcha. You, know, you know, you know, in Europe, um, and just to see that. And some people will probably make comparisons now to Tony's time at Stoke. Then and his time at Albion now, and I and I I tend to disagree, just a little bit. I, Tony had been at Stoke City for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I think there were a few things off the field, uh, a few a couple of personal issues that you know. Uh, Tony, he just needed to recharge his batteries basically, and just have a rest from football. He looked a tired tired man, mm-hmm. and I have to say, me personally at the time, I think it was the right decision for the club to to part ways. He recharged his batteries. He went he went to Crystal Palace, of course, and and. I think they were about one to twenty to be relegated. Crystal Palace when Tony took over, mm-hmm. and of course he got. Didn't get Manager of the Year that year for, yeah. for, for keeping Crystal Palace in. As an Albion fan, I, I never expected him ever to take over at West Brom, just because of a the stick that he used to get, because that Stoke side always used to beat Albion, and uh, didn't Stoke fans like letting me know um, <laughs> about that? And you look at the side, and I, he, he inherited some of the players there. Now, I mean, I went through it earlier. The squad he had at his disposal when he took over: Pocignoli, Brownie, Dye, Davidson, Gamboa, Samaras, Blanco, and Lescott was, was there immediately. Baird, um, Wisdom. Um, that's what he had to deal with, mm-hmm. and he, he he steadied the ship. And, uh, and we had two defeats against Villa, which were very tough to take. I say as, as an Albion fan, and, and but I think we finished what thirteenth that year. And um, I think he's, he's he's clearly tried to build. A bigger and better side, but the fact this year that he's managed to sign so many good players that it's it's just expectation has just risen a great deal, and of course results on the back of that as well. You know, you know, it hasn't helped in one little bit. Listen, as a fan, I know, I appreciate that football isn't isn't fantastic sometimes to watch, 
Um, but as I keep saying, who, who I don't know, Graham, who you think, who else is out there that could possibly take over? I think it's a really good point, though. I mean, I was listening to Radio Phoning the other day in which someone um, ardently came on and said that Craig Shakespeare and Michael Appleton should come on and replace him. I hear Craig Shakespeare's name um, banded uh, about quite a lot. And I think it kind of that kind of says you know, the, the problem that you have, and, and you know it's yeah. all well and good. All the people responding to our, our to our uh, yeah. Twitter account saying they want Pulis out, but if if Craig Shakespeare is the answer, or well, you're asking the right question, really. Uh, listen, Shakespeare is clearly a good coach. Mm. Michael Appleton, ex Albion, good coach. If you're an owner of a football club in Albion's current position, are you going to a point? Are you going to take a point in the you know the, this? Premier League laden full of money are you going to take a punt on those inexperienced as regards the manager are you going to take a punt on those guys keeping you in the promised land definitely not that's why I wasn't surprised to see David Moyes get the West Ham job I'm sure he'll point to the fact that well I had reasons at Manchester United I was taking over from Fergie yeah, well, I went to, um, to Spain and it didn't work out there I took over at Sunderland look what has happened to Sunderland he hasn't got any better since mm-hmm. and he will argue the case there West Ham have gone for well he looked at the Everton TV and thought well he's worth another shot um, would I have liked him at the Albion? Maybe so. But you look at Sean Dyche. Is Sean Dyche a poor man's Tony Pulis at the moment? Listen, he's, he's Burnley side. Albion were probably quite fortunate to win at, at, at Turf Moor at the beginning of the season. But if you're looking at if you're looking at stats wise, there is no way on earth that Burnley w- w- will continue in that division. They've had the least shots, one of the least shots on target in the division. They've actually conceded 56 shots on target in the division mm-hmm. which is the most in the Premier League eventually they are going to they are going to they are going to fall down the league um, but listen you've got to give credit to Dyche for what he's doing but you've got to pay three and a half million quid as well allegedly you know, you know to get him out there so you talk about Alan Pardew and people like that I don't, I don't see him you're Sam Allardyce Dudley's finest would you would, would you could you see Sam Allardyce at the Albion no, no, it'd be uh, it'd be quite a big jump. But then that said, as we mentioned before, I might have said the same about Tony Pulis when they, when, when, yeah, uh, when they started. Yeah, listen, that's a fair point. And, and, and Sam gets some criticism. His Bolton side, I watch quite a bit of mm-hmm. a number of years ago. Were were very good to watch, um, but it, it it just feels just the same as Tony. Sam just feels in a, the same. Yeah. And, and if change for change. Yeah. Sake. And if and if and if if if, if Tony Pulis was to be sacked. I'm pretty damn sure if you're a manager of some of those sides down the bottom of the league who are looking to sack their manager, I'm pretty sure the first person you go to will be Tony Pulis because he almost guarantees your safety. I know it's it's not great to watch at the moment. The results have been poor. Expectations risen, but at the end of the day, it's it, you know the results aren't right, and and the fans, understandably so, such as the modern day fan, will, will question their manager. And I've got there's no argument about that. I, I agree with it totally. I think the, the Pulis debate is as much about um, what people are seeing as it is about the results that they're seeing on the pitch. And you know, as it happens, neither neither are working out now. What do you think? What do you think is most likely that Tony Pulis serves up football that the Albion fans like, or that Albion replace him as a manager? And they replicate Pulis's success with better football. What, what, what do you reckon? Listen, I don't see, I don't see the manager changing his philosophy after so many years. Mm-hmm. He's long in the tooth. He's an experienced coach. He's he, he does things his way. Um, I, he will argue that certain things have probably gone against him this year. I mean the the conceding of late goals, the conceding of goals, and the conceding yes. of late goals. You yeah. know, they, uh, you know, you were two, we were two up at the Watford game, two up against there. I went to Leicester, where we conceded, conceded a late goal there. Southampton, we conceded a wonder goal late on. 
um, Huddersfield there's another wonder goal but the fans will want performances mm-hmm. um, I don't see Tony going all out gung-ho attack because he's, n- he's never ever done that he's always been pretty low on the on the shots on target counter and he's also been pretty low on conceding shots on target as well so even when we finish so high in the division I think I think Sunderland who, who were relegated I think you know they probably t- took about two shots less than us you know, all season and, and, and conceded about 80 more mm-hmm. so it, it, things aren't just working out at the moment we're conceding an awful lot of shots um, on target are, are also going in of course and there's a few injuries as well obviously the, you know, the Foster injuries a little bit but he was injured before wasn't he? he's come back in I'm just a little bit worried about him Dawson being out as well which is, which is also a blow um, so and I'm not sure he doesn't know his best team. I don't. I don't think he knows his best formation at the moment. But clearly, he needs to find it sooner or later because you know the roar behind the crowd is going to get bigger and bigger for and for the manager to go. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, thank you for coming in. You are the you're the perfect man for the moment, really, with your uh, with your with your Stoke and Albion background. So, so uh, I really appreciate okay. that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, we're going to move on now to speak to our, um, to a football data expert about this issue. Um, uh, so this is Martin Lawrence from whoscored.com. Forgive the quality of the audio because I was speaking to him on a mobile phone. It's not the best, but I think what you'll find, you'll find what he's got to say very interesting. So Martin, thank you ever so much for joining us. Can you diagnose the problems that Albion have been having uh, this year so far? Well, yeah, very much so. Like, it's, it's quite clear, really. Um, it's, not, it's not a new thing either under Pulis, under any Pulis side. But obviously the, the stats for possession and part accuracy are very, very poor. They're bottom of the league for both, 40% for possession, 71% for pass accuracy. Uh, and that's, that's all well and good. You can play a, a game where you don't have the ball, but you need to carry a threat in the counter, and, and West Brom just don't do that at the minute. They're averaging only 8.7 shots a game. Over the course of the season, that's 190 shots less than Leicester did in total when they won the league, playing the same sort of style of relinquishing the ball, the possession of the ball to the other team, but still carrying that threat and West Brom just don't, don't really possess it under Pulis. It's not that they don't necessarily have the players, they're just not the same intent there, there's not the same pace to the game. So, yeah, it's, it's not a good recipe really. And we were uh, we were talking before about the fact that, uh, that, that perhaps um, the, the concerning thing about this is that Pulis teams tend to end the season well. I mean, is that something that... Uh, that, that Albion fans should be concerned about? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, they've usually got, obviously, they didn't start last season too well, but they've usually got more points on the board than they do now, obviously. And they, the, the one sort of um, grain of hope you can take from it is that Tony Pulis does have good sort of middle sections of seasons in general. But if they don't pick up soon, there's a trend under Pulis is second to last season at Stoke they won one game in the last 11 his last season at Stoke they won three in the last 18 and obviously they failed to win in nine at the end of last season so if they don't start getting the points on the board there is a real threat of a relegation battle this season where there, there hasn't been in the past under, and, under Pulis and the kind of antithesis of this is I, know, I saw someone tweet the other day to say um, the obscurity of this situation is that the one person that can solve Albion's problems at the moment on paper is, uh, is Tony Pulis um, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's a, it is an interesting, it's a very interesting point. There's almost a sort of, I think, throughout Pulis's career to now and, and in the future, there will be the case where it's an in- inevitability that he will end up leaving based on the fact that he doesn't provide the sort of football that fans want to see. Like, 
it's the results business, of course it is. And he does generally he's known to sort of ensure survival and that's why he is sort of in a in a strong ish position despite the club not being in one because he's one of those managers that they'll rely on to be able to to sort it out. But it is a, it's a tricky situation for the board, I'd say at this point. And this is all about kind of having a dispassionate look at it. So you you, you look at Albion along, along the lines of the kind of statistics. Can, can you when, when you look at these statistics, can you understand why Albion fans would be unhappy about the nature of the football that they're seeing or, or a great number? Yeah. Of course, there was obviously West Brom are known known to be a team that sort of hard to beat at home as well. But without meaning to be too hard, they're quite hard to lose to at home now as well. Um, like I said, not not having much of the ball, not really carrying too much of a threat. The games is, is not is not very entertaining, and at the end of the day, it gets to a point where where fans have every right to to want to be entertained, especially at home, and that's just not happening at the moment. So there needs to be a change. Whether Pulis can enforce that remains to be seen. I'm sure he'll get a bit more time to do so. He's got he's got a decent squad there. Just, there is a concern that he's had sort of what you'd consider luxury players, flair players in the past and haven't been able to utilise them. I think the, the case that you've looked at more than any other is sort of Serge Gnabry, who couldn't get a ticket West Brom and a year later he's planning to buy a unit. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very understandable why, why West Brom fans are unhappy at the minute, I think. Yeah, it's not the most natural of segues either from, uh, from the Albion to Bayern Munich. So it's kind of two very different views there, really, from the world of uh, of betting. Kind of one look to say that you know getting rid of Tony Pulis probably makes you more likely to be relegated. Um, a, a statistical look at West Bromwich Albion probably gives it a bit more downbeat um, view. So let's go for a third take on it now. Um, earlier I had a chat with Martin Spinks, who is the Stoke City correspondent for the Sentinel and someone who's worked with Tony Pulis for an awful long time. So I've had a chat about what he thinks. Here it is. Uh, and Martin, you worked with Tony Pulis for a long time at Stoke City, uh, five years in the Premier League, but uh, but several years before then. Um, how did you find him? How did you get on with him? A very long time, Graham. Um, I've got to say, 99.9% of the time I got on with him fine. He's very old school in as much as he likes the local media, knows the value of them, establishes relationships, and that was great for us. Um, he was always very conscious of what was being said. Uh, about him on his behalf in the local media would always take a keen interest so it kept you on your toes kept you honest um, which we should be of course but yeah from day to day he was fine Um, the first time I actually spoke to him was a test I think Uh, it was 2002 and I got wind that he was going to be appointed or could be appointed at Stoke and he was actually driving up for the interview Um, but he said to me please don't mention anything because uh, I'm just about to settle with Portsmouth, and if they find out I'm about to step into another job, it could prejudice that. So just keep it under your hat just for 12 hours. Now, I did. It was easier, perhaps, in those days, Graham, to keep stories under your hat. It's very difficult in the days of social media now. But I think that was perhaps uh, a test. I don't know if it was deliberate or not, but it was a test of trust in me. And luckily, I passed it, and I think that helped the relationship I had with him. So it sounds like you got on with him pretty well. Can you um, think back to your time with him? Have you got any particular stories of, uh, of your experiences with him? Um, he would occasionally ring up when he wasn't happy about something. Um, I remember once a story about Adi, Adi Akinbayi, who was struggling a bit, going through a bit of a, a, a lean patch, 
I can't remember the precise mechanics of the story, but he felt it was putting a bit of pressure on his players. So he was always very protective of his players. Anything that was written or said about the players <clears throat> that would undermine them or put pressure on them and therefore affect their performance on a match day, he was always very conscious of that, always very protective of the people that were playing for him. Um, but I say that those sort of incidents, incidents were few and far between. You know, we got on pretty well, mainly because for the most part the team were doing well. Not so much in the first spell. He had, he came under a lot of fire from fans during the first spell, and certainly they didn't all want him back when he came back for his second time at the club in 2006. But obviously, after a rocky start, then he got the club up and running, and eventually got them promoted with with the baggage, of course. I suppose the um, to a certain extent he's he's had a similar history with the Albi fans, which so just been a bit more. Um, kind of squashed together you know he was with Stoke a long time but because if he, he had promotion I think that sort of bought him time in terms of the kind of um, attritional football he paid it probably bought him a bit more time you know there was a couple of years before the Premier League and five years in the Premier League but it started to go sour towards the end I mean can you talk us how did it end with um, Tony Pulis at Stoke? Uh, it ended in 2013 the club had been in the Premier League five years um, they were actually, I just checked on the record actually, uh, just to make absolute sure, the Boxing Day of that last season, they beat Liverpool at home 3-1 and were eight in the table. And people were talking about the Europa League again, that they'd reached the Europa League via the, losing the FA Cup final in 2011. But here we were, we were thinking, well, it's possible to get in there on merit in inverted commas through the league position. They were going that well. But they then went on a run of just one win in 14 games um, into the new year, January, February, March time. And I can always remember a 4-0 home defeat by Chelsea, Graham, when uh, Chelsea were obviously pretty hot that day. And I remember poor old John Walters, who was a typical Tony Pulis player, you know, blood and thunder, would give everything for the cause. And uh, he scored two own goals that day and missed a penalty. Just a horrendous day. One of those days where he just couldn't do anything right. And that was typical of Stoke in that run. And, uh, you know, we were actually starting to sweat a bit. Um, relegation was looming. And then the fifth game from the end of the season, they went to QPR... And it really was a critical turning point. They ended up winning the game 2-0. And then, then I think they got something like five points out of the last four games and finished 13th. But there was no doubt for a long time they were rocking during that season. But what emerged later, I, I knew this, um, those close to him knew this, but it was never made public at the time. Before that last season started, um, his daughter gave birth to his first grandchild and she tragically died three or four weeks old. And that was kept from the public view, but obviously those around him, the board knew. And it was interesting that later on, after he'd left Stoke, Tony was quoted as saying that he may even have been guilty of taking his eye off the ball, which is unlike Tony, as you, as Albion fans are well know. Mm -hmm. But that's the effect that that death had on him, understandably, of course. And I think that was all playing in the minds, possibly, of the board. So it wasn't just results orientated, but the results certainly counted against Tony in the second half of that season. And if the board were in any doubt, maybe the, those results twisted their arm. And at the end of that season, there was a passing of the wings. It's interesting because because you because I would say the. Um the pressure that's on Tony Pulis is almost entirely because of the nature of performance rather than the results. You know, I don't think Albion mm. fans expect to never be flirting with relegation, but they aren't prepared to flirt with relegation watching um, you know, football where they're only getting one or two chances in any game because really six people are ostensibly playing in defence. I mean, what was the, what was the, was, did the pressure come to bear in the end for Stoke to become more adventurous even in the, in the Premier League? Or, or was it really a results thing that did for him at Stoke? 
Well, there was that pressure. There was always a, a, a small, well, a section of support which was varying sizes, but small for most of the time in the Premier League that would always complain about the performances and obviously had this reputation and still has it to this day of being very defensively minded. And there were periods when the football was a bit attritional, as, as you say, but they were grinding out results. And in the early days, they were an underdog in the Premier League, so that was okay. The fans accepted that. But as time goes on, as with any club, they want a bit more, not just results, not just escaping relegation or sitting pretty in mid-table. They want a bit of entertainment as well. He brought, he did bring players in, players like Tunshide, the Turkish international, Ida Goodjohnson, uh, Charlie Adam, you know, flair players, want of a better phrase. But he wasn't always able to graft them into the team and they weren't always able to give him what he wanted, which was not just the, the flair side of it, but the effort as well. Um, and they couldn't always deliver that, so they didn't always get a game. And that, of course, provided ammunition for those who wanted to see entertainment and wanted to see more skillful players. They'd say, well, why is Tunchai sitting on the bench? Why is Good Johnson not getting a game? Another one was Michael Owen, who came in for what proved to be his last season in football. And um, Tony kept protecting him by saying he's trying to get him fit, he's not quite fit enough. I think the bottom line with Michael Owen is he probably was past it by that point. But he could not be accused of not trying to bring in bigger names, better players. Didn't always work, but often did. I was going to say, one of the things that, 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 that leads me to something I wanted to ask you about is, is I wonder if that um, throws up a question about his ability to um, to bring better players into the team. I sort of remember at Stoke that he was bringing better players like Tuncho and so on, but, but he, he seemed to regress to the original team, the Rory Delaps and so on, and, that he, and he struggled to bring in better players. And we're, in, we're sort of in that place now where he's struggling to make the team play better. Um, is that is it a problem for Tony Pulis to bring in a better class of player and move teams on, do you think? Well, I don't think he'll ever compromise on um, having a strong defensive side. He'll always build from that basis, whether he can get the players around that. Um, he will always buy, or has always bought, defenders. You know, that possibly, well, the greatest central defensive partnership here at Stoke during the Premier League years has been Ryan Shawcross and Robert Hooth neither of whom would, would claim to be any kind of Franz Beckenbauer, but boy, they, they were and are good defenders. Uh, and I know Tony's often been accused of playing four centre-backs, and I think he has done that, hasn't he, at on occasions. Oh, God, yeah. Across the back four, yeah. <laughs> um, so he'll, he'll never, he'll never apologise for that, he can have a strong defence. Um, so that places a lot of strain on the midfield. If he can have a midfield that can defend and attack, he's, got, he's then got a launching pad to have a good attacking side as well. And he, and he had that at Stoke for a long period by playing players like John Walters, who weren't everybody's cup of tea, but he'd run all day, get stuck in, and he could score goals. Matthew Edrington. Now, people looked at him and thought, well, he's never going to be a Stoke player. But again, Tony Pulis got him working. I've never seen a wing work so hard. But when he got into attacking areas, boy, could he cross the ball for people like James Beattie, Ricardo Fuller, and what have you. He will get flair players into the team, but he won't upset the balance. He won't compromise the balance and have a strong defensive base at the same time. I don't think he'll ever tip the balance that way, as some managers do, and he can all unravel very quickly. He'd never want to get himself into that situation. And, and let's say um, the the um, it's some fans that a lot of fans that, that are called for Tony Pulis's head get their way. Um, what can Albion expect? Let's let's say Tony Pulis goes. You've been through this experience. It, it, I sort of get a, a, the impression that from afar he's a difficult manager to um, to 
a difficult act to follow. You know, if, if you look at Albion, I mean, that, they've actually finally signed a couple of fullbacks, but he doesn't tend to buy them. So, I mean, you've got a team that's very tailored to, to what he wants to do. I mean, is, is, is that is that been the story at Stoke? Has it been difficult for Marcus to follow Tony Pulis? I think timing's everything with a change of manager. And obviously it was at the end of the season, which gives the new manager time. They finished 13, so they weren't a poor team. And he came in with the brief that he was going to improve the football. And he played that down, but that's, that's what he did. And he brought players in to try and do that. I mean, he brought players that Tony Pulis probably would never have brought to Stoke, like Marko Arnautovic, later on Jid and Shakiri. And there's no doubt that the style of play did change. I, I hesitate to use the word improve. I think that's perhaps a bit insulting on Tony Pulis, but there will be fans who say the style of play improved, and certainly fans on the outside as well. But Mark Hughes never got away from the core values of, of a good, strong team through the middle. And they were, for many years, Tony Pulis players still that, that uh, were through the middle of the team. He never got away from that and was perhaps wise not to. He knew that Pulis had left him a strong base to build from and bring in flair players around that base, and that's what he did successfully for a good two or three years. It's only in the last 12 months, 18 months, that um, perhaps Marquise has begun to struggle. So if anything, I mean, the, the, the opposite of, of what I suggested might be the case. I mean, what, one thing you know is that everyone's drilled, they know how to defend set pieces and so on, and, and if well, anything, maybe absolutely. Hughes had profited from that, that for a while. That, yeah, absolutely. I mean, any, you know, let's say Tony went tomorrow, any manager coming in would know he's got a group of players that can defend and that gives him something to build from. Whether he lets the brakes off a bit with other players, I don't know, James McLean, maybe that kind of player gives them more game time. Because uh, I noticed he was on the bench, wasn't he, last week? Yeah. You know, a new manager might do that. He might just say, just uh, relieve, uh, let, loosen the brakes a bit. Um, that would be his decision. But he would know he'd have a strong defensive base to build from. Yeah, and, and you're probably the best placed UK journalist to answer this question. Do you think um, Tony Pulis will ever get relegated? <laughs> um, unlikely and, and, and that's not a coincidence it's because of what we've just been talking about he can build a team that's difficult to beat um, and there are those that say that's, that's, where, that's where he thrives and I remember joking with him when he was out of work once I said well why don't you just you know, leave whatever job you're in at the end of the season put your feet up till November and then when the team's struggling put your hand up, go in there for six months earn a bit of money, earn a nice bonus, keep them up and just keep doing that for a few years. Because he is he is a firefighting manager. He did that at Stoke in his first spell here, I remember, kept them up in the championship yeah. on the last day. So that's, you know, I still think that's where he really thrives, but that doesn't mean to say he can't manage a team that finishes in the, in the top half of the Premier League. And I know he's been trying to prove that at West Brom. So there it is. Um, the issue of Tony Pulis continues to be a divisive one. The... Um, Research that we did on social media suggests that there's an awful lot of Albion fans who are unhappy at the moment, but um, he's still got a lot of fans out there in the football world, and um, we'll leave it for you really to decide what you think uh, what you think should happen with him. Um, just for this week, we thought we'd bring it bring it to you and bring a, a plethora of opinions here. Um, next week's um, Woodman Co on a podcast will be a bit of a return to the norm. Really, we are a storytelling podcast. We're about getting people to tell their stories about West Bromwich Albion, their highs, their lows, the things they enjoyed, and so on. Um, Next week we have another footballer telling you some stories from the dressing room that you've never heard before. So be sure to tune in and thank you again for joining us at Woodman Corner.